Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you all for coming. David. Well, get, wait for, you know, pause for, oh. uh, the, the applause has to die down here. Right, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry, everybody, <laughs> I forgot you were there. <laughs> so, uh, all right, David, year two, we're doing this again. <laughs> we decided to do it again. It was, I like to think it was demanded of us by these good people. <laughs> they and, all turned uh, out. They all showed up. Yeah. They, so obviously no, no, we made no, they the right stayed decision. here. Oh. They, they staged a city. Have we been feeding them? That's not our responsibility. Okay. All right. You know. Um, and so, uh, I mean, but yeah. Like, we only rented out this hall for the the couple hours last year. I mean, have they been had? Who's been paying for this, is what I'm saying. Uh, officially, nobody. It's kind of been like an Occupy This Theater. Okay. We probably should have thought of a name for it. So this is... We're addressing a crowd of squatters at this yeah, point. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. All right. But you know what? They're a very receptive audience. Yeah, well, it explains the stench. <laughs> All right. So, 2014, that's what we're talking about. What a year it's been. What? Oh, boy. No, uh, I'm asking you. What a, what? Year, what, a, what a year it's what? been? What? A year it's been? <laughs> Since the last one? Who, how, how about that? Yeah, so uh, at the top of uh, the uh, ceremony here, we wanted to talk a little bit about 2014 in general, and now that we're reflecting back on the best films of the year and, and the best uh, achievements of the year, uh, it's an opportunity to look back on the year as a whole. And it's interesting, for me, 2014 was pretty disappointing for a good long while. As, especially as far as quote unquote prestige films. Okay. Um, there are movies that I was really looking forward to, and then they, it's not so much that they let me down, they just did not meet my expectation. Uh, but uh, when, you look, when I look back on it, I, I feel like it's actually been a pretty, and kind of an eclectic year, but actually a pretty solid year. Um, for, for myself, actually, uh, with mainstream films, specifically summer blockbusters, I thought it was pretty solid. I didn't see Transformers, of course, but uh, I thought Godzilla was pretty good. I really liked Captain America. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes was was great. Uh, I liked X-Men, Guardians of the Galaxy. It's been a really good year hmm. for mainstream. Even, you know, sequels and stuff, they still managed to achieve a certain degree of originality. And so... More than aside from how great the documentary slate has been this year, uh, that is that is what I come away from 2014 thinking is how good the the mainstream blockbusters were. Do you is there any genre or anything like that that you can point to and say, oh, this was good or this was disappointing? Yeah, I wish I could. I feel like uh, this has been the year. The only, the thing that's marked this year for me is that there's been nothing specific to mark it. That it's been sort of if you look at my top ten, there aren't a lot of. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of thematic overlap. Yeah. Um, now you named uh, about five movies there, all of which I didn't see. So maybe yeah. that's m- my fault. This is the year that I stopped going to blockbusters. I liked Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, that's yeah, and that that was a great um, one. No, but, nobody else saw it, but it was <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've, I feel like that's the only big summer movie that I saw. Is that true? Can that be true? Um, yeah, I guess that is true. To my knowledge, you didn't see uh, anything yeah. else. Um, so maybe, maybe I missed out on a big trend. Um, but I, I do feel like this was a year in which, um, you know, away from movies, there was, there, there were things that I think informed the way that we look at movies. Mm. Um, because there was, 
um, Ferguson and Eric Garner. Yeah. And also there was Gamergate and yeah. that whole thing. So I think uh, race and gender played into the discussion of movies. Yeah. Um, and into movies like um, Obvious Child, which mm-hmm. is not um, an overt, it's not an overtly political film. Right. Um, of course, you know, no film is apolitical. That's, right. uh, that's the way politics works. Everything is political. And one um, could make the argument that by, being, by not being overtly political, that itself is a political decision. I, uh, very much so in this case. Um, and, and so I think um, certain, certain movies um, that, were, that were good, would have been good to begin with had more resonance, mm-hmm. rang out a little further because of uh, because of what was happening, um, and uh, the most obvious example is Selma, which yeah. could not. I mean, just we know you know we know that it takes more than a couple months to make a movie, so they, yeah. they could not have anticipated the movie coming out right after Ferguson and the Eric Garner thing in New York. Um, Not since it, Wag the Dog came out <laughs> shortly after the Monica Lewinsky scandal right, has yeah. something worked out that well. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I would hesitate to say it worked out well because people are dead um, in Ferguson, New York. I'm just saying it allows but, us to have this conversation. So yeah. I'm saying uh, I think it worked out pretty well for us. Um, Two white men sitting in a, <laughs> a, 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 sorry, in a large theater filled with people. <laughs> yes. Um, smelly people. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Um, I think that's the point that I... Uh, that's what I'm taking into my discussion of the films of 2014, that as many awful things happened um, in our in our culture, it um, made us more aware of what we're watching, and that's why there's so much talk about uh, going into 2015 now. There's the... Um, uh, you know, uh, we hope to have Maria Gates on at some time to talk about her uh, A Year with Women project of only watching female uh, directed or written films in 2015. No. We've also got this discussion about the Oscar nomination, that other award ceremony. I'm not following you. Their what are we talking about? And, and, the, and the lack of color in those. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't help but, um, but think of 2014 in the way that it's informed what will hopefully be some new changes or ways of looking at things in 2015. And, you know, we need to move on with the ceremony, but I'm bringing up outside things that aren't, that don't necessarily have to do with movies or just outside forces. Uh, that does remind me, yeah, 2014, it was, it was, especially towards the end of the year and like 2014 and early 2015 was a time when people were discussing what free speech meant, what uh-huh. censorship meant because of, the, the Sony hacks and uh, right, the, the yeah. threats having to do with the interview and, of course, uh, the, the attack over at uh, Charlie Hebdo, which, uh, again, again is not necessarily, doesn't necessarily have to do with movies, but it has to do with people expressing themselves what is considered appropriate, not merely uh, to joke about, but just to even address. Yeah. And the idea that there, people start talking about there are some things you just don't do. And... Uh, and not even nationwide, worldwide, people were having that conversation. And frankly, anytime people are talking about any people, anytime people are talking about free speech and about art, I feel like movies could, I, I think benefit um, because you, I think you have some people when they sudden, they suddenly realize, Oh, this can actually cost something for somebody to express themselves. And 
So I think people value it a little bit more uh, as an audience. So all right, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a fascinating year in a lot of ways. This has been our version of an opening monologue. Oh yeah, <laughs> was like if you, you were expecting like us to you know dance through scenes from the <laughs> year's biggest movie. You know, <laughs> David, would you like to reenact Under the Skin, just you and me? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, but we do need to move on. And so we will go, uh, we will jump right into uh, the first award. All right, our first presenter is a longtime writer for Battleship Pretension. Please welcome Rita Cannon. Thanks, Tyler and David. Um, I'm happy to be presenting the award for Best Supporting Actor. The nominees are Edward Norton for Birdman, Ethan Hawke for Boyhood, Mark Ruffalo for Foxcatcher, Josh Brolin for Inherent Vice, and J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. And the BP goes to J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. Um, J.K. Simmons is really remarkable in this movie. Um, It's a really showy role by its nature. There's a lot of yelling and um, getting up in people's faces and saying outlandish things. Um, But what I think is really remarkable about it is how much nuance and restraint he brings to it. Um, even though his Oscar clip and all the clips and the trailers are going to be the parts where he's yelling, um, my favorite parts of his performance are the moments when he is alone with Miles Teller's character and he brings it down a notch and sort of charms him a little bit. And I think those are the moments where you really see what a skillful manipulator he is and how he's able to exercise that much control over so many people, um, even though he's so abusive towards so many people. Um, it's a really great performance and a great movie, and congratulations on your BP, J.K. Simmons. You deserve it. Thank you, Rita. Our next presenter is the creator of the Chaos Cinema Video Essay and a two-time guest of the podcast. Please welcome Matthias Stork. Thank you very much for having me today. I am here to present the award for Best Stunts, and the nominees are Chris Carnell, Thomas Robinson Harper, Casey O'Neill, Spyro Rosados, and James Young for Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Simon Crane and Wade Eastwood for Edge of Tomorrow. Clayton J. Barber for The Guest. Jonathan Eusebio, Darren Prescott, and John Valera for John Wick. Yayan Yuruyan, Aiko Uwes, and Larnell Stovall for The Raid 2. And the winner is... Yayan Ruyan, Eco Uways, and Larnell Stowall for The Raid 2. I myself voted for The Raid 2 as well. Um, great movie, uh, really excellent stunt work. What I particularly liked about the work in The Raid 2 was that it emphasized physical action over special effects. It was all done in camera. It was um, very well executed. Um, the action was legible. The editing was crisp. Um, I like that... Um, The stunt work was done by most of the actors in the films themselves. Um, The uh, UK Uways and Yayan Ruyan um, were both responsible for the fight choreography, and they also performed it on screen. Um, I got really addicted to the film. I saw it twice in theaters, um, not for the story, but really for the stunt work, for the action. Um, And afterwards, I also spent uh, lots of time watching the stunts on uh, YouTube. They're all up there, so you should check them out. I highly recommend them. 
Um, my wife was a little upset with me for spending too much time watching them online the entire time, but I think it was well worth it. Um, I so I wholeheartedly recommend the Raid 2 for the stunt work. Um, check out the great uh, car chase sequence, uh, really brilliantly done. Um, highest of recommends. Um, and that, those are my thoughts on the winner. Uh, thank you so much for having me, and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Thanks, Maddie. Our next presenter is a valued member of the BP Podcasting fleet. He's the host of the What the Fuck Are You Watching podcast. Please welcome Kyle Anderson. Thanks, guys. It's really good to be here again. It really looks different this year. Uh, I'm here to be talking about what? I'm here to present the Best Foreign Film Award. Um, anybody who thinks foreign films are boring, you should just take a look at these nominees this year because uh, they're anything but boring, and uh, they're very relatable, and a lot of them are, uh, you know, could easily be made in America, but they shouldn't be. No remakes around here. Um, but the nominees, that's the word. The nominees for Best Foreign Film this year are Force Majeure, directed by Ruben Ostland, Ida, directed by Pavel Pavlinkowski, Leviathan, directed by Andrei Zygvagensev, The Raid 2, directed by Gareth Evans, and Two Days, One Night, directed by Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne. And the winner is... Oh, thanks, Scarlett. Good to see you. The winner is... Leviathan. From Russia. I really, really liked this movie. Um, I knew nothing about this movie going in except the poster, which had a kid sitting next to a whale's skeleton, which is evocative in and of itself. Um, it's one of the most... I mean... All Russian movies are kind of long and sad, and this is a very long and sad movie, but um, it also brought out a lot of other emotions, and um, it, it, it took a really long time, I think, for the, the movie to reveal it, but you, you find out that it's basically the, the, the Book of Job done in uh, rural Russia, and it's, uh, you know, how much can this man take? You don't even realize that he's the one who has to take everything until a certain point in the film, but uh, yeah, lots of bad stuff happened to decent people, and decent stuff happening to terrible people, um, and, but you kind of get the idea maybe that everyone gets what they deserve in the end, um, and, and there is a, a definite uh, uh, pull for uh, a higher being being in charge of, of all sorts of things in the afterlife. I thought it was a fantastic movie. Uh, I hope you all watch it. It is a very long movie, but it is worth checking out. So thank you, and congratulations to Leviathan and all of Russia for all you do throughout the world. Thank you, Kyle. Up next, you know him, and many of you love him. It's BattleshipPretension.com's editor-at-large, Scott Nye. Thank you, thank you. Oh, really, you're too much. Uh, I'm here tonight to present the Bruce McGill Award for Best Performance Under 15 Minutes. There was some harsh competition this year. Let's hear who we had. We had Tim Blake Nelson from The Homesman, Martin Short from Inherent Vice, Matt Damon from Interstellar, Allison Pill in Snowpiercer, and Adam Pearson in Under the Skin. And the winner is... Martin Short for his, in, ah, his performance in Inherent Vice. I saw Inherent Vice four times, and every time there was an audible reaction when Martin Short came on screen. People were really prepared for something big, and boy, did he deliver. And he really matches the tone of the brief scene he's in. He pitches it fairly normal when he first walks in, 
then a little bit silly, and then he just keeps ramping it up, ramping it up to the point you feel like you should probably be a little bit afraid of this guy, and indeed you should. Uh, it is a wonderful performance, very much worthy of his talents, and perfectly suited to the film he's in. That sounds like a great cameo performance to me. Thank you. Your next presenter is a frequent guest of the podcast and is the host of his own popular show, Out Now. Here's Aaron Newworth. Hello, this is Aaron Newworth from the Out Now with Aaron and Abe podcast, and I'm here to present the BP Award for Best Trailer. And this, of course, included trailers for movies that were both from 2014 and upcoming this year, 2015. Uh, lots of good nominations here, although... I think there's some controversy involving the snub of Mad Max Fury Road, which uh, certainly one of my favorite trailers of last year. Um, but the nominees were Avengers, Age of Ultron, Birdman, not to you know be confused with Birdman, it's the other, the other one, Birdman, in accounting, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Inherent Vice, and Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Um, i got to sort through the envelope here. Let me just... Okay, the, um, let's see, the winner is Star Wars The Force Awakens. There you go. So everyone's happy with, with that, with Star Wars winning? Yeah? All right, well, there you, there, that, there you have it. Starts the, the ball droid and, uh, and, you know, Boyega. All exciting, right? Good. Okay. Best trailer, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. All right, way to go, Nunu. Our next presenter is a fan favorite, and only a fan favorite. Please welcome friend of the show, Jason Egan. Thank you. It is an honor to be here at the second annual BBs. I am friend of the show, Jason Egan, here to present Best Adapted Screenplay. And the nominees are Gillian Flynn for Gone Girl, Paul Thomas Anderson, Inherent Vice, Andrew Bovell, A Most Wanted Man, Walter Campbell and Jonathan Glazer for Under the Skin, Nick Hornby, Wild. And the winner of the BP for Best Adapted Screenplay is... Gillian Flynn for Gone Girl. So, you know, the, the goal as a writer, whether it's uh, an adapted screenplay or an original screenplay or, or a novel, is to really create a full picture with, um, with the story. You, wanna, you want believable, richly developed characters, uh, but they, there also has to be a world that feels lived in and built and, and one that seems to exist outside the corners of the page or, in this, in this case, off of the edges of the screen. And that was one of the things that really struck me most about Gone Girl. Um, and I think David Fincher gets a lot of credit for that because he is the director, but it really, in this case, starts with the writer. And it starts with, um, you know, all of the care that she took in crafting this portrait of this Midwestern um, story. Um, I, I think one one way to to tell how richly developed this this screenplay is is just to look at how many great characters there are and how many characters actually feel developed. You know, in, in a typical movie, you may have 
a lead and a couple supporting characters who you actually know. And everybody else sort of seems to exist only as a function of them uh, with no real life of their own. But, but here you've got the main characters, Nick and Amy. You've got the defense attorney, Tanner Bolt. You've got the sister. You've got uh, Desi, the, the former you know, crazy lover. Uh, you've got Detective Boney, Officer Gilpin. You've got this media personality, Ellen Abbott. You've got the mistress, the neighbor, Amy's parents, and most impressively to me, Scoot McNary's character, uh, who, uh, whose name is Tommy O'Hara. Um, you know, they, they don't just feel perfunctory. They never feel perfunctory. Each of these characters is given moments in the script and... Having not read the book, I, I don't know how much they're in the book or what the development is there, but they're given all of these moments in the script to actually live and, and present themselves as fully formed human beings. And that is, is so refreshing. Um, you know, but more than that, I, to me, Gillian Flynn sort of pulls off a small miracle, which is that she uses a single relationship to examine both the micro and macro ideas um, of identity. Um, and it's all about, you know, this, this marriage between two people, these two people who know, you know, they spend the most time with one another. So you have sort of that idea of getting to know who these people are. But then you've also got this gigantic sort of public machine um, and this media machine once sort of the uh, investigation starts and, and everybody's looking for her. And you see all of the different ways that people try to, to be known and try to make themselves known. You also have, um, you know, the, the, the uh, amazing Amy stories from her parents. So even in the midst of, you know, this, this written story, you have written stories and you have the diary. So all of these different ways of examining identity, you just don't get these in, in a typical screenplay. Um, and, you know, as, as a writer myself, just looking at how many different components this script has, I, I'm just in awe. I'm just in awe that she's able to, to sort of incisively get in and maneuver and, and pick apart what it means to be married, what it means to be the daughter of these people, all in, the, you know, this whole, like I said, this whole media machine and investigation, even though it's all about these two characters who are just kind of pissed off at each other. I mean, to, to be able to go that large with a story that is actually that intimate is just insanely impressive. And more impressive is that, you know, she got the people to buy this book um, who the movie is actually kind of lampooning their ideas. Um, you know, this is like the epitome of a book you pick up at the airport. It's pulpy, and it seems, you know, just like this typical murder mystery, and then you open it up, and it's sort of Trojan horses, all this stuff in there that totally explodes all of your preconceived notions about, um, you know, oh, here's, oh, it must be this cheating husband. It, it's like all of the simplistic ideas that you would bring into a movie like this or a script like this or a book like this it's depending on you bringing those into it so that it can skewer them and so that it can turn them on its head. And that kind of writing is just brilliant. And, you know, to go back to what I said at the beginning, Gillian Flynn manages to paint a full, complete picture uh, with this story. And that is why she is so deserving of the best adapted screenplay 
BP. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jason. And now, a tribute to those we lost. Um, oh, um, I'm sorry. This I shouldn't be laughing. That's not fun. Uh, real quick, wait, ladies and gentlemen, can you? This is not the right. Me- uh, can we? Can, can you? Can we, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, if can you we just the right music, bear please? with us. Um, we're very sorry for this. Are you? Uh, are you shitting me? I don't know when this is gonna stop. It seems you, like it's uh, just the, uh, okay, um, the button. Okay. Uh, I'm. Um, so there's apparently been some kind of mix-up, and uh, we can't stop this. So. Okay. A tribute to those we've lost. Oh, good God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, that's... That, oh, that's... That, that's, that's not good. Yeah. Type. Jesus Christ. How, uh... How long is this thing? <laughs> oh, don't... Don't applaud. It's, it's just, just, yeah. just... It's... Let's, we'll just get through this. Okay. Oh, shit, I forgot about him. Jesus. This is a fucking nightmare. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to your family. Okay, it is apparent that we probably should have tried harder to skip that. We sincerely apologize to the loved ones of those we just saw on the screen. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Now, let's just move on. Our next presenter is the newest member of the BP family. He hosts the I Do Movies Badly podcast. Via satellite, here's Jim Rohner. Thanks, guys. It's an honor for me to be here as part of my very first BP ceremony, and it's an honor for me to present the BP for Best Supporting Actress. And the nominees are... Emma Stone for Birdman, Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, Carrie Coon for Gone Girl, Renee Russo for Nightcrawler, and Tilda Swinton for Snowpiercer. And the BP goes to Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. What I love about Patricia Arquette's performance in Boyhood is that, unlike some of these other nominees, it doesn't draw a whole lot of attention to herself. She's very subtle and yet very effective at the same time. Just by the nature of boyhood structure, uh, following just one formative event uh, or one formative day in a young man's life from childhood up until the teenage years, it's guaranteed that no supporting character is going to be in every single scene. Being the mother, she is obviously in many scenes, but because she's not in every single one, she has to make sure that she is very effective and very efficient with the screen time that she does have. And so every single time she pops in here, she's really charged with two different tasks. One, she's charged with conveying to the audience how her character is changing, how her character is going through her own arc, but we also have to make sure that she shows that the ways that she is changing and the things that are happening in her life is also affecting and helping form the 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 young son that she is also raising on her own. So it, it, it's she's charged with doing two things at the same time. She does them both really effectively, and she has to do it in such a way which doesn't draw attention to itself. It doesn't really require any extensive monologues, any dramatic overacting. It's really just a lot of love, a lot of care, a lot of caution, and a lot of affection, and done in a way which 
you wouldn't necessarily notice at first, but certainly by the end of the film sticks with you. So congratulations to Patricia Arquette on your on your BP win. I think we all are in agreement that it is very well deserved. Jimmy. All right, this next presenter is one of our most beloved BP writers via satellite again. Please welcome Sarah Brinks. Thanks, guys. I couldn't be more excited to present the BP Award for Best Animated Film. The nominees are Big Hero 6, directed by Don Hall and Chris Williams, The Box Trolls, directed by Graham Annabelle and Anthony Stacci, How to Train Your Dragon 2, directed by Dean Debois, The Lego Movie, directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, and The Tale of the Princess Kaguya, directed by Isao Takahata. And the winner of the coveted BP Award goes to directors Phil Lord and Christopher Miller for The Lego Movie. No doubt we've all seen Phil Lord's Twitter response to not being nominated for an Academy Award where he built his own Oscar out of Legos. I'm sure he wouldn't have been so disappointed if he knew he had a BP coming. I think most people were pretty dubious when they heard there was a Lego movie coming out. But after that first teaser trailer, our fears were put to rest. In the end, the Lego movie was clever, nostalgic, and a lot of fun to watch. The Lego movie captured the fun we had as kids building worlds and impossible objects out of plastic bricks, while still telling a relatable story about the fear of not being special in a genuinely funny way. The voice talents involved range from Chris Pratt to Morgan Freeman to Alison Brie and almost everyone in between. Everyone involved brought their unique and hilarious characters to life, whether it was a generic spaceman or a cop with two personalities. The film also gave us the unforgettable song, Everything is Awesome. Good luck getting that out of your head anytime soon. The Lego Movie was definitely my favorite animated film of 2014, so I am thrilled to congratulate the Lego Movie on its BP win. Back to you, David and Tyler. All right, thank you, Sarah. To present this next award, we brought out the big guns. Here to present best score, our resident musicologist, West Anthony. Thanks, everybody. The great thing about film music is that composers for film can be truly adventurous, creating the most way-out sounds imaginable and exposing moviegoers to musical styles they might never consider outside the cinema. As long as it fits the mood of the story, a composer can dare to attempt something totally unique and challenging. One of the most exciting things about this crop of nominees is that only one of the five nominated scores could be considered in any way traditional, which is not to say it's mundane, because then it wouldn't be nominated. These scores range from an orchestral work with elements of early Philip Glass, to an evocation of old-world Eastern European folk music, to the darkly artificial tones of one of our most celebrated alternative musicians, to a boldly experimental and unconventional score by a first-time film composer, to a dude playing the drums. Here are the nominees for the BP for Best Original Score. Antonio Sanchez for Birdman. Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Gone Girl. Thank you. 
Alexander Desplat for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Hans Zimmer for Interstellar. And Mika Levy for Under the Skin. And the BP goes to Mika Levy for Under the Skin. You know, I don't think I've been this intrigued by a film score since Johnny Greenwood's work in There Will Be Blood. Ms. Levy's work has that quality of stepping outside the norms of traditional film composition in a way that perfectly complements Jonathan Glazer's tale of an alien in our midst, as well as Scarlett Johansson's enigmatic performance. I, um, who's this approaching the stage? Security? Hey, everybody! I'm Thomas Pinchon. I'm going to let you finish, but I just want to say Inherent Vice should win all the BPs because it's the greatest movie of all time. Wow. So that's what he looks like. Um, Thomas Pinchon, everybody. There's something you don't see every day. Or ever. Where was I? I congratulate Mika Levy on this, her first film score, and her BP award, and I look forward to more outstanding work from her in the future. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for the use of the hall. Good going, West. Our next presenter is our official London correspondent, again via satellite. We couldn't get him here. It's Daryl Tufts. Since the very first images of workers leaving a factory, or trains racing towards the screen at astonishing speeds, moving images have shaped the way in which we humans have connected and grown to understand each other over the past century. Narrative cinema, through story and character, is often able to deeply affect us on a human level, proving that, however old fantasy and fiction may be, it will forever remain an important part of our world. So what then for non-fiction documentary cinema? Well, if we think about it, successful and well-made documentaries can also offer extraordinary viewpoints, gripping narratives and fascinating subjects. Proving that, like story and fantasy, documentary cinema will forever remain an important key to understanding those funny little creatures that are human beings. And so with that, it's a great honour for me to award this year's BP Award for Best Documentary. The nominations are... Citizen Four, directed by Laura Potras. The Internet's Own Boy, directed by Brian Knappenberger. Jodorowsky's Dune, directed by Frank Pavich. Life Itself, directed by Steve James. The Overnighters, 
directed by Jesse Moss. And the winner is... Citizen 4. Citizen 4 is not only a revealing and shocking documentary, but also one of the most thrilling and gripping films of 2014. The film is centred on not only the revelations surrounding Edward Snowden and his story, but also taps into what it means to stand up and be counted in today's modern society, as well as the implications and struggles surrounding our ability as humans to speak freely. While an entire section of the film takes place in just one hotel room, it remains tense and riveting throughout, holding a constant sense of paranoia and fear. A fear that anyone living in the modern world, surrounded by ever-improving technology and surveillance, can understand and connect to. Because not only do we witness within the film a growing sense of paranoia for the people in it, but we ourselves are forced to re-evaluate our own lives, what we share, whom we talk to, and who may be listening at any time. And so, when a cinematic experience such as Citizen 4 can draw out of us this much of an intellectual and emotional response, we know that the visual intensity of that old steam train hurtling towards us at speed is still alive and well today. Thank you, and congratulations to Citizen 4. So charming. The next presenter is a writer for the website and the co-host of my other podcast, More Than One Lesson. Here's Josh Long. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's a great honor to be here presenting at the BPs. I'm here to present the award for Best Original Screenplay. These are the nominees. Jennifer Kent, The Babadook. Richard Linklater, Boyhood. Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Dan Gilroy, Nightcrawler. Paul Webb, Selma. And the BP goes to... Sorry, hold on, I can't, can't get this open. Give me a second. There we are. It's Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Well, I think that's a fantastic pick for this year. Uh, I personally did vote for the Grand Budapest Hotel to win the BP for Best Original Screenplay for 2014. Um, I'm a fan of Wes Anderson's work in general. I've enjoyed uh, all of his movies greatly. And um, I think this is one where he's, uh, he's really done a great job of creating not only uh, a unique world, as he always does, but... Um, something that is kind of fantastical and exists more outside of the real world than a lot of his other films have. Um, all of them kind of exist within a, a little bit of a heightened world, but this is one that takes place in an entirely, uh, an entirely fictional universe comes in, in a country that's never existed based on a, a book that's never existed. Um, and I think there's some very great world creation going on in that, um, I also very much enjoyed the performance of Ralph Fiennes as uh, as the as the the main character. He is that's one of the greatest characters I think that Wes Anderson's created. He has a lot of uh, layers to him. There's a lot going on, and I think there's even a little bit of uh, a little bit of an autobiographical aspect to the character. And I think uh, there may be a degree to which Wes Anderson is seeing himself as. Uh, the one who has to hold everything together and uh, maybe the one who appreciates art in a world of people who just want to use it for personal gain. So I'm pleased to present this award to Mr. Wes Anderson and uh, we look forward to seeing more new work from this rising star. 
Josh, that was acceptable. Here's another of our beloved contributors to Battleship Retention. Via satellite, please welcome Craig Schrader. Thanks, guys. As far as I'm concerned, best cinematography is the most stacked race in the BPs this year. From the vibrant, upbeat colors of a fictional World War I universe, to the search for a missing wife shot in a cold, dark light that sings with atmosphere, to the dingy, sun-stained brilliance that captures the essence of a nefarious reporter, the worlds created in these films would be significantly less substantial if the cinematography weren't so alive with beauty or despair. So without further ado, here are the nominees for the 2015 BP for Best Cinematography. Emmanuel Lubezki, Birdman. Jeff Cronenwith, Gone Girl. Robert D. Yeoman, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Robert Elswit, Nightcrawler. Daniel Landon, Under the Skin. And the winner is... Daniel Landon, Under the Skin. I chose Under the Skin myself um, because Daniel Landon's cinematography is gorgeous, yes, but it also tells a story better than any of the other nominees. Uh, in the most gonzo scenes of the film, the, uh, the scenes in the black water, I'll try to keep it vague, um, Landon takes quite literally a blank canvas and, and, you know, just an actor and darkness, and he turns that into some of the most beautiful sequences of the last decade. And there's something very paradoxical about Landon's work. You know, most of the film takes place at nighttime or in some kind of darkness, but Landon contrasts that with sharp, brilliant light and shoots the film in a way where scenes of near darkness pop off the screen and just feel effervescent, even when the action is mostly shrouded in shadows. But yeah, as I mentioned, Best Cinematography is the most impressive field in this year's BPs. Uh, I eventually voted for Under the Skin myself, but there was never a time when I didn't consider all of these, really. And truth be told, I had it narrowed down between Daniel Landon and Robert Elswit's work in Nightcrawler. But ultimately, there's just no other cinematographer this year that so immediately understood how to shoot something so profoundly bizarre and make it unspeakably gorgeous. And every time I toyed with the idea of voting for someone other than Landon, I remembered those Blackwater scenes or the film's haunting finale and realized there's just no other film this year that burned imagery into my head the way that Daniel Landon and Under the Skin did. So because of that, my vote and the BP for Best Cinematography goes to Daniel Landon. Wear it proudly. Back to you guys. Thank you, Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, in our second year of the BP's awards, we decided that we would like to honor some of the more notable technical achievements in film. And we did so in a separate ceremony held just last week. Here to give us the highlights... It's the king of TV himself, the lovely and talented Paul Goebel. A few weeks ago, the BP Science and Technical Awards were held in beautiful North Hills, California at the Hillcrest Inn. I was asked to host the event. Here are some of the highlights. Let me first say highlights is a very strong word uh, for anything involving this event. All right. In fact, I would even say lights is a strong word because there was nothing illuminating about this. Just the fact that they got me to host shows what a shit show it must have been in the first place. So this guy created some kind of new kind of camera crane uh, as if we need more cranes. I mean, what? I don't know why this one's so great. It'll show you the top of someone's head. Hooray, good job. Uh, this guy did something with 3D technology. So this is the guy responsible for you paying an extra 10 bucks when you went to see the fucking Dragons movie. Nice job, dude. Um, I don't remember what this lady did, but pretty hot. Uh, this guy got an award for being really old, I'm assuming. 
uh, because I'm sure he hasn't done anything significant. Look how old he is. He's got to get, you know, they give awards for old guys. So way to go, old man. And this woman did something with sound editing or sound mixing or talking. I'm sure there was talking involved. I don't know, makeup maybe. I don't know what this woman did. But again, not so hot. This one, uh, she belongs behind the camera, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, that's it. This is what all these guys did. And honestly, if you haven't fast-forwarded past this, what is wrong with you? There's a reason they put these in a separate category and a separate day and don't show them on TV. You know, this is the time of year when, like, friends in the industry post pictures of themselves on Facebook at award shows and stuff. And you can tell who are the losers who aren't really in the industry because they've gone to this uh, award show and they lost. They should just give everybody a trophy. They should call this the everyone gets a trophy Oscars is what they should do. You're old. Here's a trophy. Oh, you created a new thing. Here's a trophy. Oh, you broke down barriers. Here's a trophy. Now go home and be quiet. All right. That's it. Thanks. Go fuck yourselves. <sighs> All right. To present the Best Actor Award, we turn to our man in Chicago. Here's Aaron Pinkston. With these five great performances, who says Hollywood can't write strong leading characters for mostly white and a few black men? The nominees for Best Actor are... As an actor willing to risk being a once successful mainstream star to being a Broadway novelty, Michael Keaton in Birdman. As a metropolitan concierge and unfortunate bequeathee, Ray Fiennes in the Grand Budapest Hotel. As renowned British painter and an all-around swell kind of guy, Timothy Spall in Mr. Turner. As a hard-working entrepreneur working his way up the ladder in the cutthroat business of freelance news videography, Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. And as an idealistic minister leading his people to gain access to rights that they were already supposed to have, David Oyelowo in Selma. And the winner is Jake Gyllenhaal, Nightcrawler. Unfortunately, Mr. Gyllenhaal is currently gaining weight and then losing weight for an upcoming role, so I will gladly accept this award on his behalf. Gyllenhaal has gotten a bad rap over the years because of some really unsuccessful mainstream work, but if you look at the bulk of his filmography, the role of Leo Bloom is closer to his norm. Hopefully with this recognition, he finally stays away from the princes of Persia's and the loves and other drugs is this. What Hollywood saw in Gyllenhaal is a little bit of the reason his performance in Nightcrawler works so well, though. While he seems like a horror movie villain, the character only works because of some weird intrinsic likability that hides just below the level of rage. At all times, one is repulsed and terrified of Leo Bloom, but also strangely alert to him. He also threatened to blackmail us into a sexual relationship if we didn't give him this award. So, congratulations. Megan is proud, Pink. Our next presenter is one of our writers and our only Sundance correspondent. Here's Matt Warren. Thanks, guys. Um, I am here to present the Best Editing Award. So, without further ado, here are the nominees. Douglas Creese and Stephen Mirioni, Birdman. Sandra Adair, Boyhood. Kirk Baxter, 
Gone Girl, Barney Pilling, The Grand Budapest Hotel, and Tom Cross, Whiplash. And the winner is... Boyhood for Sandra Adair. And I think this award is quite deserving, both, uh, both for what Sandra and her team did and what they did not do. Um, I want to focus for a moment on what I admired about their approach uh, as far as it relates to the choices they didn't decide to go with, which it would have been easy with this film to sort of punctuate each transition um, as the years unfold across boyhood and as uh, Mason and L.R. Coltrane and all the other actors and characters grow older. It would have been easy to throw in interstitials that sort of give you signposts as to where you're at, you know, 2002, 2003. Um, there's nothing There's nothing like that. And what what the editing of Boyhood does is that it mimics the actual sort of flow of life itself. Um, when you're young and as you grow older and older still and eventually sort of into your way into adulthood, there aren't these sort of um, these aren't these sort of definitive moments where life hits and you jump ahead and you're suddenly a little bit older. And so that that uh, the editors, Sandra and um, Linklitter and the rest of the Boyhood team, that they're able to sort of provide the 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 illusion within the context of a film of uh, of just an entire life unfolding uh, at uh, life pace um, was really admirable, and also I think it should. It's not, um, it's not an unimportant thing to pay attention to the, the technical difficulties uh, of post-production as, during this period of time, sort of beginning in the early 2000s and going up through 2014. Um, I know as someone who's done a, a fair amount of video editing myself that, you know, Porting that that shit over from format to format uh, through different editing software systems throughout throughout twelve years must have been a fucking nightmare. So uh, they should get the award for for that if uh, if nothing else. So for all these reasons, uh, congratulations to Sandra and on with the show. Thank you, Matt. Our next presenter was recently a guest on the podcast to talk about his love of eighties horror films, but tonight. He's here to present the award for Best Actress. Here's Danny Valentine. Thanks, guys. I'm here to present the award for Best Actress. The nominees are Essie Davis for The Babadook, Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl, Tilda Swinton for Only Lovers Left Alive, Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night, and Scarlett Johansson for Under the Skin. And the winner is Essie Davis for The Babadook. The Babadook is one of my favorite movies of 2014, and a lot of that is due to what Essie Davis is doing with her role. She brings an incredibly real performance that makes the film feel grounded even with supernatural circumstances. Throughout the film, she has multiple encounters with the haunting, and you get the feeling that as a character, she's truly unraveling. She brings the duality of being a mother, willing to protect her son at any cost, and also the vulnerability of a lonely woman. She gives not only one of the best performances of 2014, but one of the best horror performances of the past 10 years. Congratulations, Essie. Thank you for your honest performance. 
Way to leave him wanting more, Danny. To present the Best Director Award, we turn to an actor that has worked with some of the finest directors of our time. The star of Cheap Thrills, The Innkeepers, and Compliance, here's Pat Healy. Thanks, guys. Great to be here, as always. Thank you for having me. Great to be aboard the battleship. A lot of you don't know, we're on an actual battleship that shows films. And uh, it's pretentious. I'm here to present the award for Best Director. And the nominees are Jennifer Kent for The Babadook, Richard Linklater for Boyhood, David Fincher for Gone Girl, Wes Anderson, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Dan Gilroy, Nightcrawler. I think it was a great year for very bold choices as a director. And all of these films uh, make very bold, strong choices in an era where things, especially bigger budgeted films, seem to be heavily sanitized. But the winner and my favorite film of the year is Richard Linklater for Boyhood, who perhaps took the biggest risk of all, uh, casting a young boy and some other seasoned actors in something that was going to last 12 years without really knowing how it was going to turn out. And it's a huge leap of faith to start on a performance or direct a film because you really don't know how it's going to turn out. But that's an incredible leap of faith. Then we all have to get past the idea that the film is just going to be the gimmick. And pretty early on in Boyhood, we realize that it's not, that it is really just one of the most amazingly conceived textural uh, pieces of emotion that someone could ever put in a film to watch people not only age but uh, change and grow and have ups and downs. I think that I relate just as much to the boy as I do to the parents now being a man in my early 40s. I, I understand, um, you know, Ethan Hawke having certain dreams and, and being sort of a man-child and and finally accepting responsibility for better or worse to, 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 to be a father and be a grown-up. And I understand, um, you know, as, as someone whose mother went back to school later in life and got her master's degree, um, but really ended up in the corporate world, you know, that the character that Patricia Arquette plays so beautifully, that, you know, sometimes things don't, turn out the way that we want them to, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's worse. Sometimes that's the best thing for us. And something about the end of this film, which is that this character might grow up to be something great, or he might grow up to be miserable, or he might grow up to be somewhere in between, which is sort of where his parents are. But it's really not important. Um, if I could be cliche for a second, it is, it is indeed about the journey. And the journey is not what we ever think it's going to be at the beginning. And I think what's really beautiful about this movie and also sad is how fast it goes. We talk about a, a film that's almost three hours, but an entire you know, lifetime goes by so quickly. And I think even Patricia Arquette references that at some point. And it really is a great, the film is a great metaphor for the experience of life itself um, going so quickly. 
I heard an interview with Richard Linklater recently where he started showing the film for the first time. Maybe it was at Sundance or test screenings, and he was a little worried because in the scene where the, the kid, in a, he's a teenager, was with his girlfriend in his car, and they're texting, and, and people in the audience just started gasping because they assumed that you know, there's going to be some horrific crash or something that happens because it's not safe to do, of course, as we all know, and that nothing happens. And it worried him that, you know, the big complaint about this movie from people who don't like it is that nothing happens in it. Well, I would argue that that's a brilliantly directed scene and an audience reaction like that shows you how invested people are in that character and his story, that we're concerned for him just like his parents would be or anyone else that loves him are. And that's something that I don't know that you could have done any way, other way than, than the way that uh, he does it here. And, um, you know, things happen, like the economy changed, and maybe part of the story at some point, uh, Patricia Arquette got a job teaching and, and did all right, but, uh, you know, she doesn't. She, she ends up back living at home with her mother because that's what happened in the world, and that's what happens in people's lives sometimes. But... Uh, it's ongoing. I'd see another one of these. I hope he does the trilogy like he did with the, the before movies. Um, and uh, so I'd like to congratulate Richard Linklater. I'm sure he's listening to this right now. And uh, Boyhood, again, the best film of the year for me, but certainly the best directed as well. Um, thank you very much. Back to you, fellas. All right, here we go. The moment you've all been waiting for. Waiting very patiently. Because it's the end of the ceremony. Uh, we are uh, here to present the award for Best Picture. The no, nominees. When we're, we're done, are these people finally going home? That's not my business. All right, I, just, I guess I feel a responsibility. Maybe we should talk to the Red Cross, getting some cots and some water in here. Sure. You I, know? Look, I feel like... Doctors without reservations. <laughs> should maybe get in here. <laughs> I have no reservations about being a doctor. <laughs> Doctors without scruples. <laughs> All right. And on that horrible note, here are the nominees for Best Picture. Birdman. Boyhood. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Nightcrawler. And Selma. Thank you for the, uh, uh, for those who didn't notice, that was alphabetical, that order. Alphabetical. And the winner is... Boyhood. All right. <laughs> well done, Richard Linklater, on your first uh, BP award. Or BP? Well, now, officially, uh, this is his second BP award of the night. Of the night, sorry. Yes. But at first, best picture BP. That's true. First, maybe not his last. Who's to say? Of course. Well, this thing's going to go on forever, and so is uh, Richard so is Linklater. He, yeah. right? He's None of us will ever die. Yeah, it's... And I mean, one time my dog just went to sleep, and, uh, you know, I assume that's fine, right? And this is kind of the story of boyhood. <laughs> um, no, uh, in, in, all, in all seriousness, um, uh, boyhood is a, a film that has resonated, you know, driving past um, a billboard, like a four-year consideration billboard for boyhood recently, um, and it touted it as the story of a family. And mm -hmm. I think that's, um, I can't remember the exact words, but I think that's people, the, the, on, on the one hand, naming the film Boyhood really does 
uh, envelop its scope, that it is about this entire 12 years of boyhood. But it's also an understatement mm. to call it boyhood because it's also about his mom and his dad and to some extent his sister. And um, there's, uh, there's a universality to the things that it... Um, universalness? It's not important right now. Um, to, to the things that it uh, uh, covers, mm-hmm. that it, 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 it engages with and addresses uh, the process of growing up in the world and how you become the person you become. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there are... Um, I mean, there are things that are very specific to, uh, to this boy, but I don't know that there's that much where this is a... Uh, I, I don't think that, despite the title, I don't think it's a particularly gendered uh, film. Right, it, I, think it, you're, I think you're very correct on that. Uh, and, and so wh- I guess what I'm trying to get to is that um, this is a movie that is for, for everyone, and I think um, that has borne out in the way that it's been received. You know, people... I mean, I mean to have a, I mean, a three-hour movie is usually a, uh, a, a bit of a challenge for a lot of people, but to have so many people from so many different walks of life mm-hmm. embrace this movie, you know, to, to have it be this um, independently financed Sundance-type thing that's um, three, three hours long, and the fact that it's like a front-runner for that other award show... Um, is very is very surprising. The, the Indie Spirit Awards, <laughs> and, and is uh, it's a, it's a, it's a testament to just how impactful this film is, uh, and mostly by keeping it simple. You know, in a year when it's up against um, these overly polished. I don't want to talk. You know, uh, I don't want to throw shade on other films right now. We're about celebrating stuff, but there yeah. are there there are some you know biopics prestigious type movies that uh that are overly polished and have uh a sort of forced forced cinematic grandeur mm-hmm. you know that come out at this time of the year and to have something that is uh so ground level um be so impactful i think is a uh it's it's a it's a testament to the power of um s- simple but passionate filmmaking yeah, and you know, I didn't love this movie as much as most people, but even I can recognize the achievement of it because I do agree with what you <clears throat> with what you're saying that though it is called boyhood, it could it could be called girlhood and we could be looking at the main character's sister. Mm-hmm. Um the idea is and and yes, it can it has to be about a family. It has to be Maybe even about friends, but the the nature of the character is that he does move around a little bit, so he doesn't keep friends. So it's all about his family, and we're sort of seeing the world through his eyes. He, as a main character, is our entry point into looking at the way his parents change, the look, the way his circumstances change, and so so that in itself is a is an interesting point of view, and and of course a lot of people, rightfully so, uh, have talked about the way the film was made. And it is an achievement. And what I like about it is that though the film, I think, hangs together pretty well, at its core, it's an experiment. And the experiment could have gone poorly. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I uh, have been saying about the film ever since seeing it is I would love to know 
what Richard Linklater thought of the finished product. And, I mean, obviously he was happy enough with it to finish it and put it out there, but is it everything he hoped it would be 12 years ago? Is it more? Well, I'll bet it's not. Or is it completely different? Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm interested in is what, you know, 12, 13 years ago at this point, what did he think the finished product was going to look like and how yeah. different is it now? Because, you know... You don't, uh, you don't, you know, when you go off to college, which is where the film ends, you don't stop growing up. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Richard Linklater is a different person than he was, yeah. uh, than he was then. And so it's, it is, uh, like I said, even though it's, it's not the, uh, the picture that I voted for, uh, I do think it's, it is definitely, uh, a pretty great achievement and a worthy, uh, best picture winner whether it be for the BPs or any number of other uh, lesser award, o- award yeah. ceremonies. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so uh, congratulations to Boyhood. And congratulations to all the winners tonight. Um, thank you all for being here. And we'll get you next year. Bye. Bye.